0: This episode of Punk Rock HR is sponsored by the Shift Career Summit on June 17th. We're bringing together some of the biggest names in the world of work to help you take control of your career. The event is completely free and you can register today at shiftdigitalcareers.com. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Ruderman. welcome to Punk Rock HR. My guest this week is Adam Smiley Pozwalski. Smiley wrote a terrific new book called Friendship in the Age of Loneliness, An Optimist's Guide to Connection. Do you wonder why it feels like we're more connected than ever before, but it feels so difficult to keep true friendships alive? And why, if we're online 24 hours a day, do we feel so lonely? Well, in Smiley's new book, he talks about how to make new friends, take care of your people and live a meaningful life. So if all of that sounds good to you, and believe me, it sounded good to me, sit back and enjoy this conversation with Smiley Pozwalski. Hey, Smiley, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Lori. Thank you for having me. Great to be here today.
0: Well, it's my pleasure. There's all sorts of good stuff to talk about today from the world of work to your point of view on culture, but why don't you get us started by telling us who you are and what you're all about.
1: Sure. Well, hi, everyone. My name is Smiley. I live in San Francisco, California. I am the author of uh, three books. My most recent book is called Friendship in the Age of Loneliness. And I spend most of my time speaking at companies and conferences on the topic of millennials in the workplace, attracting and retaining young talent, and fostering intergenerational collaboration, trying to figure out how we can all work together and how generations can come together and create a really thriving company culture. And more recently, I'm really focused now on belonging, specifically in the remote work landscape and hybrid landscape that we find ourselves in during the pandemic and after, and kind of how do we foster that human connection, which is something I wrote about a lot in my most recent book, Fostering Human Connection in the Digital Age.
0: Well, I'm excited to talk about your new book. So why don't you share your story about how you came to write Friendship in the Age of Loneliness? What's it all about?
1: Contrary to popular belief, this book was not born in the pandemic. (laughs) Loneliness has been an issue for quite some time. In fact, nearly two-thirds of Americans are lonely, including 70% of millennials and 80% of Gen Z and that's data from 2019, so prior to a year of social isolation and lockdown, which is pretty alarming. I actually started writing this book, at least the early stages, way back in 2017. I knew I wanted to write something about friendship. I wanted to write a love letter to friendship, and it was sparked because one of my best friends died. He was 32 years old, so a young, healthy guy, all of a sudden got diagnosed with a brain tumor and then died a year later from brain cancer. He was my friend, but he was a really remarkable person. His name was Levi Felix, and he He was the founder of Digital Detox and Camp Grounded, which was a tech-free summer camp for adults. you may have heard of it. It was featured in The New Yorker, The New York Times, all over. And it ended up in five years actually having 3,000 people attend camp. So it was a four-day summer camp for adults started in the Redwoods of California. We also did camps in Texas, in North Carolina, in upstate New York. And it was all about detoxing from technology. So we'd lock people's devices away for four days and not talking about work. So there was no W talk, as Levi would call it. No, what do you do or where do you work? Or I saw on LinkedIn that you work at Google or that you are in the HR space, none of that. So it's just all about authentic connection, play, vulnerability, allowing people to kind of show up as their full selves and kind of recognizing the fact that we're addicted to technology and that most adults don't really have a chance to play or connect in an authentic way in the world we live in, right? When we do connection, it's really just about networking. So the book started as kind of a love letter, both to recognize and celebrate Levi, my friend and what he had taught me, and to understand what was going on, this idea that, you know, we're spending more time than ever connecting, quote unquote, connecting with all of the tools available and Instagram and LinkedIn and TikTok and whatever, but we're actually really lonely. The average American hasn't made a new friend in the last five years, 75% of folks are not satisfied with their friendships. Many people have zero friends at work, even though there's data showing that if you have even one friend at work, you're more engaged. Employees who have a best friend at work are seven times more engaged. So really kind of looking into this and exploring my own loneliness as well.
0: Well, I have a working theory. I know we're in the age of loneliness and you make this case so eloquently in your book, which I was lucky enough to get an advanced copy of and read. But I wonder if we've always been lonely, except now we're answering the question of how do you feel? I mean, this question is out there for us everywhere. How do you feel? What's going on from brands, from companies? But I'm not sure anybody's really listening. So I don't know if loneliness has increased or we're just asking the question more often. What do you think?
1: I think that that's part of it. I think also you can't pinpoint like the one reason for this. Robert Putnam wrote a book called Bowling Alone that was actually published nearly 20 years ago, all about kind of the decline of community in America, kind of the institutions that really fostered that belonging community like religion or church or the VFW hall or local neighborhood centers, the bowling alley, these types of things and how we've lost track of that. But I think that a big piece of it is the social media and the tech piece. Julianne holt Lundsted has kind of done some of the pioneering research on this, has said, okay loneliness, it's not social isolation. They're different. So you can be socially isolated and not feel lonely. Maybe you're happy not having a lot of friends or you like to be out in the woods by yourself or you're just a pretty introverted person that doesn't need all that connection. You can be socially isolated and also be lonely though. But loneliness, what it is, it's the subjective gap, uh, the perception between one's actual level of connection and desired level of connection. And I think to your point, what we are seeing now is that people feel that gap more. And one of the reasons I think, seemingly obvious reasons is many people are spending eight to 12 hours a day on a screen, scrolling through everyone else's lives. And it's impossible not to say, wait, why wasn't I invited to that event? Or how come I wasn't invited for dinner? Or they look like they're so happy at work. Or their family and their children look so wonderful. I'm struggling in my own life. So we see the gap more. It's more in our face. It used to be you kind of check in with people and you hear about their updates then at the holidays every year. If a major life event happens, now we're getting it 24 seven, And we're kind of checking in and saying, wait, I want more of that or I want deeper connection or they seem to be doing so well, even though everyone has their own problems and struggles and the grass is always greener. So I think it's more in our face. So when people say, how do you feel? It's way easier to say or frankly, to feel lack of self-worth, a lack of belonging, feeling like you're alone.
0: Well, I definitely relate to this idea that comparison is the thief of joy. I mean, this is something I feel in my own life. I'm a successful writer, speaker, podcaster. I've got all the labels myself. And then I look around at the landscape of my mobile phone or of my desktop. And I think to myself, well, why am I not here? Why am I not there, right? So everybody has that moment of doubt, of feeling like they're an imposter, the most successful to the least successful among us. And I just wonder, what are some of the solutions that you posit in your book around loneliness? Like, how do we address it? How do we fix it and move on so that we feel greater connection in our lives?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest things is first knowing that you're not alone. So that was another kind of spark of this book was my nickname is Smiley. I'm a pretty happy person. I'm a positive person. When there's not a pandemic happening, my job is to go around and speak and meet people for a living. Like that's what I get paid to do is like go to rooms of people, high five people, meet them, make people have a good time. The other thing I think is to recognize that this stuff takes time. So to start small, I think often, you know, there's research I found writing my book that shows that it actually takes 90 hours for someone to be considered a real friend to developed that emotional connection actually 200 hours together to be a close friends with somebody so i think again we think we want the quick fix and we want something to happen right away just starting small by like going to an event or inviting people over or reaching out to someone and those simple acts of just kind of putting connection more at the center of your life i think trying new things is really important especially if you just moved to a new place or if you just started a new job or if you're feeling really lonely or feeling like you don't have a lot of people in your life trying new things being curious, asking better questions, like going beyond in the same way kind of Levi taught us at camp, like going beyond the what do you do? Because what do you do is, could be a good conversation, but unless someone is really, really stoked about their job or what they're working on, it's probably gonna fall flat in about 30 to 60 seconds. So asking more questions about what are you dreaming about these days? Do you have a creative project you're really excited about? What's keeping you up at night? What's the last book you read? These types of things I think goes a long way. I think that ritual is a big piece of this. There's research that shows that the more time you spend with someone, the more likely you are to like them, the the mere exposure effect. So, you know, often I think we think of connection as going to a one-off event, right? Like I'm going to go to a bar or a party, but it's so much more effective if you can join something that's an ongoing activity, right? Like a book club that's meeting once a month or a cooking class or an accountability group for people writing a book together or something like that, or you're a podcast host connecting with other podcast hosts and you have a monthly call just to share resources sources and ideas and what's working and what's not, that's a beautiful thing.
0: Well, I love all of those ideas. I just think that there's such a connection between loneliness and anxiety and loneliness and depression. So it's very difficult to tell someone who's lonely, go to a book club meeting or go to the local church or the local temple and participate in some rituals when it may be that they're having a difficult time even getting one foot in front of the other and getting out the door. So what are your thoughts on connection between loneliness and maybe mental well-being?
1: Yeah, I have a chapter in my book called de Mental Health. And I think like, obviously, how can we show up for other people in our lives if we're not showing up first for ourselves? So I'm a full supporter of people getting the help that they need and seeing a therapist. That's something that was really useful for me in this past year of the pandemic, just in terms of my well-being, my mental health, my own anxiety with losing, as a speaker, losing most of my business overnight and having that financial anxiety, the pandemic, and being scared and of my family and people in my life. Now, I think that therapy should be affordable and accessible to all people, which it is clearly and definitely not. Although I hope a silver lining from this past year is that we're normalizing the conversation around mental health. A third of Americans were experiencing signs of clinical anxiety or depression in the summer of 2020. So this is not just like, okay, some people are (laughs) really suffering. A third of Americans, that's over 100 million people. So yeah, I think you're 100% right. Another thing that came up in my interviews with people was this kind of, it's a small thing, but I think it's important. I interviewed someone who talks about being more comfortable being alone and fostering kind of what he calls good alone time. This is my friend Ankit Shah, who started a movement called Tea with Strangers. So he's all about meeting new people, but he also is talking about being more comfortable being alone. So there's a stigma around loneliness, that it's a bad thing, that being alone is a bad thing. But what if we flip that and kind of say, you know what, I'm scheduling alone time. Maybe it's a Sunday evening or a Friday night. Yeah, I don't really want to go out i'm looking forward to it i'm gonna light a candle i'm gonna put on my favorite chill music i'm gonna meditate i'm gonna write in my journal i'm just gonna put on my sweatpants and be with myself and at that time that space actually allows us to kind of have a little bit of time of self reflection self-awareness growth for ourselves that allows us eventually to show up more for others it's kind of like service to self and service of others so i thought that was really beautiful
0: The future of work is here and boy, it's full of buzzwords for job seekers, gig economy, micro learning, the fourth industrial revolution. What does it even mean? That's what I want to know. That's why my friend Mary Ellen Slater and I are holding the shift career summit on June 17th. We're bringing together some of the biggest names in the world of work, such as Lindsay Pollock, Minda Hartz, Neil Irwin, and so many other great thinkers who are helping people like you take control of your career. This isn't another boring webinar. When we put together the lineup of the all-stars who are going to help you work at the intersection of purpose and meaning, Mary Ellen and I had one rule, no scrubs. The Shift Career Summit is completely free, and you can register today at shiftdigitalcareers.com. That's shiftdigitalcareers.com, and I'll look forward to seeing you on June 17th. One of the things I thought about while reading your book was indeed this challenge of really creating connection, especially in the age of COVID. Many of us are suddenly in this remote world or we're currently not doing the job that we've done for the past couple of years. Our worlds have changed. And I know you're passionate about fostering connection in this remote world of work. So can you talk a little bit about that? Maybe some tips or tricks to stay connected? Because as you mentioned, it is difficult anyway to foster connection at work and it's got to be a hundred times more difficult when we're doing it through Zoom.
1: Right. I think we can all agree that one of the things we're missing the most is just kind of those run-ins with people, right? You know, the spontaneous kind of, hey, do you want to get coffee? Or it was great to see you. How was your weekend? Or like, let's go for a walk. Or do you want to have lunch? So I think, first of all, acknowledging it, acknowledging like this is not normal. This is really hard. This is different to start with. We kind of skip over that part a little bit. More time for kind of personal check-ins and real talk. This is something that traditionally companies, especially kind of large organizations that are hierarchical or have a lot of bureaucracy have been traditionally wary of, of like, okay, you know, we got a meeting at 10 a.m. We're not wasting 10 minutes talking about your weekend. I would actually say that taking that five to 10 minutes for everyone to do a rose, a bud, a thorn, a highlight from the weekend, a challenge that they're facing, something in their life that's present, a story they want to share from the weekend, whatever it is, is going to go a long way to fostering a sense of shared struggle, connection, vulnerability, reminding us that we're not just workers, we're whole people we're not just employees. These are humans and humans, especially always, but especially in the past year are going through a lot.
0: Well, Smiley, I think this idea of sharing a rose, a bud, a thorn is so antithetical to so many corporate cultures out there, because your point around starting a meeting at 10 o'clock so we can be respectful and efficient and make sure everybody gets in and out has been important for a lot of reasons, but also become the way we've operated and expected meetings to go. So I know you're passionate about corporate culture. So what's changing post-COVID?
1: I mean, I think we're seeing that the personal coming much more into the professional space. And that's okay. Like we can allow for people that say, "Okay, I don't want to talk about my family or my children at work. I just want to get my job done. And I respect that. But we can also make space for people that say, hey, I need to get something off my chest or, hey, by the way, this is what's going on at home or not even at home. You see it happening in the background because we're on Zoom. That's what's happening right now. I need to share that. I think we can create that space for both people and be more accommodating and understanding of people's personal lives.
0: I know you believe culture is everybody's job. And so I wonder what some of the challenges are out there when you come from this traditionally hierarchical way of operating in an organization to wanting to be more personal. So if culture is really all of our jobs, how do we begin? Where do we start?
1: When I say culture is everyone's job, what I mean that I think is traditionally we've had this theory, it's like, okay, the CEOs or the founders set the norms. They write the mission statement and the values and they're framed and they're on the wall on the eighth floor in the conference room and maybe in the employee handbook that's 500 pages that no one's reading. And now it's much more of a living, breathing document. It's changing when, hey, there's a pandemic happening or a political crisis or a reckoning with racial justice or any of the number of things that we're going through and that that's okay and it should evolve. It should adapt. Obviously, you're not going to change your mission overnight or you're going to not change your values, the culture has to grow every time there's something happening and every time there's even a new hire. And that's okay and that's a good thing and that we're allowing for everyone to contribute to that, even someone that's been there for two weeks or two months or two years. It's not just kind of the people that have all of the quote unquote power.
0: You said something really beautiful right there. You said that culture can change with new hires, with someone who's been on the job for one to two weeks. And I think that's a really beautiful 21st century way of thinking about the workforce, that it's not this static thing that that's top-down, that's hierarchical, but that it's ever-evolving, ever-changing, and that somebody who has just walked in the door has an opportunity to really change the shape, the tone, the tenor, the climate of an organization. Like, how radical is that? How disruptive is that? Do you see that happening?
1: Yeah, I think this is happening a lot. I think you're seeing that it's hard, but I think we're having kind of a little bit of a reckoning of people realizing that it's not just kind of the head of people that's in charge of the culture. Yes, the head of people sets the tone or the culture folks set the tone, HR sets the tone, but it's everyone's job. It's frankly, every leader's job, every manager's job. But it's also, if you're working on a team, it's your job to kind of know this person seems like they're going through something, like maybe I can be there for them. Or hey, I'm going to offer some praise and affirmation. I'm not going to wait for <laughs> our company to kind of make some sort of company-wide policy about we're doing uh, interviews, performance interviews you know, every six months or every 12 months. I'm just going to create a way that we do this in every Every meeting where we give praise to each other because I think my team needs that. That's culture. That's what I'm talking about. And I think we're seeing at least forward-thinking companies and forward-thinking HR departments embrace this. I think the folks that are resisting it seem to be a little bit stuck in the old school mindset.
0: Well, really interesting that culture could be the antidote to loneliness. Like, I love that lesson. I think that's really fantastic. Well, as we start to wrap up the conversation, I know there are really important points that you've made in the book that we may not have covered in this discussion. So I'd love for you to share just one or two more thoughts, things that are really important for us to know about your fantastic book
1: there's two things I want to mention. One is the power of intergenerational collaboration. I actually just wrote an article that was in the Washington Post about this. I think that especially companies, one opportunity that's available to them that they kind of neglect or forget is intergenerational co-leadership, which is pairing people that are early talent that are maybe new or younger, neither new at the company or don't have that much experience in the industry, pairing those folks with people that are older, or have more experience, either at the company or in the industry, and letting those people co-lead a project together. And just kind of what the Power of intergenerational collaboration, there's science that shows that it's really good for people that are older to spend more time with people that are younger, for learning, for their mental health, for their brains function, and then people that are younger are learning and growing. And a lot of the times I think we get in these kind of culture challenges between age and generations. And if we kind of throw that out the window and say, you all are working together, not only that, you're leading this project together, figure it out. I think what happens is the Gen Z or the millennial suddenly is like, wait a second, I don't know everything. (laughs) I have so much to learn. It's like, well, yeah, you're 24 years old. You do have a lot to learn. And maybe the Gen Xer or the baby boomer is like, you know what? I thought these millennials were kind of full of crap and always like asking for a promotion on their third day. But this person's really smart and has all of these great ideas and is thinking about the world in such a different way and is actually the future of our company, both in terms of talent and clients and customers. We probably should really understand what they're thinking. So you get that symbiosis. That's one thing. Thing. And then I think just from the book, one takeaway is we don't need many friends. We need one or two or a few friends. And just to kind of flip the traditional way we think of both work and I think life these days, or at least products of growth and scale and more, 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 right? More connections, more people. I think that one of the biggest takeaways from the book is what most people are looking for is more depth rather than width, is going deeper with a few people and knowing who your people are. If you're really looking for friendship in the age of loneliness, spend more time with a few people in your life, like that's enough. Or let a few people in your life know that you really care about them and that you love them. Or at work, let a couple colleagues know that they've had an impact on your career or that you enjoy seeing them virtually or in person on a regular basis. Like that's the check mark. Like that's good. It doesn't have to be this huge thing. But doing that actually is the work. That's enough. And I really think often we think of we become overwhelmed with what's in front of us. But it's quite simple, actually.
0: Well, Smiley, I love that lesson. You know, as I emerge out of my own cocoon, right, I'm coming out into the world again as someone who has prided herself from a marketing perspective on having followers and readers and all of that. What I find I'm individually craving is depth, depth with girlfriends, quality time with people I love and really not looking at some of the other extraneous markers of success, but really asking myself, am I a good person? Am I a value to other people? Am I making their lives a little bit better? So it's not even about my own individual experience in the world. I want to make sure I'm making the people I love happy. And I think your book really doubles down on that and helped to kind of shore up my philosophy. So thank you for that.
1: Thank you. And that's a beautiful reflection.
0: Oh, it was my pleasure to have you on the podcast today. And we're going to have all your good stuff in the show notes. Thanks again for being a guest.
1: Thank you, Lori. Thanks for having me. And thanks everyone for listening.
0: Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Punk Rock HR. As always, the show notes are where it's at for information, links, resources, and you can find them all at laurirudeman.com forward slash podcast. And don't forget this episode of Punk Rock HR was sponsored by the Shift Career Summit. That's right. Happening on June 17th, it is the place to go to hear from all the experts, no scrubs to help you take control of your career. Head on over to shiftdigitalcareers.com for more information. That's Shift Digital Careers. Dot .com and thanks again for listening to this episode of Punk Rock HR we'll see you next time